I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. We are going back to the hive for season five of The, the Connor, Connor and Smith, Smith Show. Show. What's up? How are you? I'm great. Yeah? Yeah. What's going on in your life? Well, Interwoods had to close because of COVID. Oh, no. Yep, it's true. It's affecting everyone everywhere. Yeah. And so that just bomb just kind of dropped last night. And we are enjoying the offer. Yes, the offer on Paramount Plus. I'm so sorry to hear about it. I'm acting like I haven't learned that until now, but I have. Um, I know that people have been following the journey of that along with this podcast. But Speaking of podcasts, who's on deck tonight? Tonight we are talking to the illustrious Mr. Jason Carter. We will be... Yes! We're going to take a quick break and we will be... Right back. Jason, can you hear me? I can hear you, man. How about me? Yes, I can hear you. I am sitting here with my husband and co-host, Matt Connor. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> hey, Matt. And our producer, Ryan Dean Halbrook. Mr. Carter. <laughs> Ryan, been a while, man. Yeah, good to hear, you, for, hear your voice. Yeah, it's good, to, guys. it's good to... It's good to, first of all... I, we haven't spoken aside for our sound test in like over two decades. How are you, man? I am doing well. I am doing very well. And that's actually not true. We actually ran into each other randomly uh, at the Cherry Blossoms in D.C. one afternoon about 10 years ago. We oh, just okay. happened to be walking around and I kind of ran into you and Matt uh, right next to the reflecting pool. Oh my God, no memory of that. So good on you. I can't recall <laughs> that. That's funny. That yeah, it was, is a, it was, it was about 10 minutes of an interaction. And uh, that was about right outside the Jefferson Memorial. Oh my gosh, that's hysterical. I think the pandemic has made me a clone of my old self. <laughs> Were you there with anybody else? Do you guys remember that, that travel down there? Uh, you know, Steve and I have done so much. It's kind of like a broken mirror. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what that means. I, it's a lot of pieces. <laughs> oh, oh, it's a lot of pieces. I will say this: we don't get down to the cherry blossoms often, and I think I have a photo of me and Matthew. That's like an actual photo, like with a camera. Do you, did you take our picture? I mean, altogether, possibly. Is, it was, is that the uh, time it had to be took... like two thousand six, two thousand seven, somewhere around there. Yeah. Is that the time we took the paddle boats out? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've only been down there like one or two times because it's just a a nightmare. A nightmare to get there. Oh yeah. No, you it's know. it's it's ridiculous. And were you just here visiting? Yeah, I was just up there. It's the only time I've ever done that. Up until this past year I went up and did it again. But uh yeah, that was the only time in my life I'd ever done it and just randomly happened to walk into two of you guys about That's ten hysterical. years after I had left school. Yeah, it was weird. Where are you calling from? Or where did we call am... you from? I am in Charlottesville, Virginia. And is that where you're from? No, no. I actually was born and raised in Los Angeles, California, and lived there until I was 16 years old. What, so, My, uh, so you're actually from L.A. When I lived in L.A., yeah. everybody was from L.A. No, and nobody, nobody in L.A. is still from L.A. Everybody from L.A. moves away as quickly and as rapidly as possible. So. <laughs> <laughs> Were you in Charlottesville on the day of the riots? I was. Oh yeah, I was totally here. Yeah, it was crazy. I watched it. I watched it on TV. It was like I used to. I used to bartend and work in all the restaurants on that downtown mall, and uh, um, and watching all that stuff happen was surreal. It was. It was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever seen. That's kind of how it was for us watching the Capitol being broken into, just like you know, oh, yeah. four miles from our house. I mean, think, wait, that's right there. That's happening right yeah. there. No, what a weird time. It's just, it's, it's a, it's insanity. Left it was, and right. it was weird because I was in a meeting downstairs in my office and Matt was teaching piano and we both had the TV on and like, could not really talk to each other about it. Cause we were doing other things, but like, I would run upstairs and just like mouth, like, what the fuck, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then we have to go back to our jobs and yet we're like watching 
TV, like with our mouth open, like, ah! It took me a minute yeah. to wrap my head around that it was here. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If it wasn't for, you know, what I know what the Capitol looks like, I was like, this this does not look like the United States. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was a, it was just a, a litany of absurdity that kind of led up to this culmination that was just unbelievable. Unbelievable. And yet, and not that this is the 1-6 podcast, but yet when it happened, there was part of me that went, well, how else could this have ended? How yeah. else could this have ended? Which part? Yeah like the Trump presidency, it was going to end in some big shitstorm. You, you think it's ended? <laughs> well, it's not. I mean, it's he, because he's still the president, right? Uh. <laughs> yeah. TBD, man. TBD. What are you doing in Charlottesville? I am currently working as a physician assistant specializing in psychiatry. So I've been doing that for about four years now. So I'm, I'm a psychiatrist. So... Um, you're not a music psychologist. You are a psychologist. Psychiatrist. Yeah. Focusing on like medication management. So yeah, no, I haven't been involved in music or acting or the arts in years. Like I kind of put it down. It was a, it was a, a a tough decision to make, but one that, yeah, I don't regret whatsoever. Well, you don't ever really put it down. It becomes the foundation for something else. That's very true. Very true. So even though if the basement might be now underground, it's still holding up the roof. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely, you know, creative aspects that are in play in my life all the time. So, so did you have to go to what, school after Shenandoah? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like years after. I didn't actually, actually end up going back to school until 2009. So I had left Shenandoah in 1997. I stayed around in Winchester for a little bit. Um, and then I got involved in working in hospitality and restaurants, and I kind of traveled all over the country doing that um, in fine dining restaurants as a bartender and a server and a manager in Denver and Chicago and New York. And uh, and finally, I just kind of woke up one morning and I was in my early 30s and I'm like, is this really what I want to be doing with the rest of my life? And uh, started looking around for different opportunities and seeing what I could do. And I ended up going to x-ray school in Lynchburg, Virginia. And it was a two-year program, got my associate's degree. Um, finished that up, moved back to Charlottesville, went to MRI school, did that for a year. And then I was an MRI tech at UVA for about five years while I was working on my bachelor's degree and uh, getting all my prereqs done to go to PA school. And then in 2016, I went to PA school for two and a half years and then graduated in 2018. So I was 42 years old when I graduated from PA school. So you could basically fix my mind, my back, my teeth, and my piano. Well, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm not a priest, man, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So you said you left California at 16? Yeah, after the Rodney King riots. I left in 1992 um, and moved to Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, Both my parents were in the film industry out there. So I grew up, you know, around film sets and everything like that. And my mom was just sick of it. She had worked on the um, Virginia is for lovers campaign back in the early nineties, late eighties and uh, fell in love with Virginia. Thought it was just a gorgeous state and then came back. And within a year, the riots happened and, uh, and she's like, fuck LA, we are out of here and moved me to me and my sister to Charlottesville, Virginia, four days before my junior high school. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. Only to have riots happen there many years later. <laughs> yeah, it all comes from a full circle, man. It's crazy. Well, so wait a minute. Virginia is for lovers was a campaign. Yeah. Oh yeah. So what, what do you what do you try to gain with that? Like tourism. Tourism. Yeah, yeah tourism. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So I work in a, a for a nonprofit that uh, supports a local community, and we rent the love letters from the Virginia State Tourism for our events. And that ties back to that Virginia is for Lovers campaign that's still very active. Um, very much so. Absolutely. Bumper but, stickers and T-shirts everywhere. So. I would say you see, see the bumper stickers everywhere. everywhere. But pretty soon, if the rights of people start maybe getting slashed, it's going to be like, Virginia is for Lovers. Is it? <laughs> some lovers. Some lovers. Oh, yeah. Virginia is for some lovers. I love that. It sounds like a song. Yeah. yeah. And keep it to yourself. And keep it to yourself. <laughs> Um, so, so you moved to, to Virginia at uh, 16. Yeah. What was your, what was your like 
drawing to the arts, like what was, I guess your parents, first of all. Sure. As, yeah. as you also elaborate on that, like, I just know because I moved when I was going into high school as well to a place that I didn't know anyone whatsoever. Like, speak to that as well. Like, what, what was the transition period for? Uh, like, yeah, it was weird, you know, because, uh, you know, you move in and it's and it's a small town coming from like Los Angeles to Charlottesville is, you know, culture shock. And uh, and everybody that I knew and met had known each other since like elementary school and middle school. So it's like I was this new guy coming in out of nowhere. And uh, it was pretty isolating, but I was also like the new kid that nobody really knew. So it was that there was an air of mystery, I guess, to it. You were living um, the movie Footloose, basically. I was totally. I was. I was totally Kevin Bacon mm-hmm. coming into this town and shaking shit up. Yeah. Um, no, and I was interested in trying to meet people and trying to be a little bit more creative. So I joined up into you know drama, and I got into the drama classes, and started acting and. The very first play I ever auditioned for, I got a lead role in. I mean, a small lead, but it was a uh, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, and I played Demetrius and mm-hmm. had a blast. Just one of the lovers, you know, and it was great. It was a great take on it, and I just really fell in love with being on stage and the family kind of environment and and the camaraderie, and it was just a great group of people, and and I fell in love with it. I, I absolutely adored it. Virginia um, were Shakespeare lovers. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And actually, all the acting that I did through um, my late adolescence was all Shakespeare. It's all I ever did. So I did uh, um, As You Like It. I played Oliver in As You Like It. I played um, Petruchio in Taming of the Shrew. I played Bardolph in Merry Wives of Windsor. I did just a bunch of Shakespeare stuff, just in like community theater and through high school and everything like that. And that's how I kind of found Shenandoah. I was i i got accepted to shenandoah initially um i was gonna go into physical therapy but i really was kind of thinking about going into acting and uh decided to go for more of like the mainline kind of you know let's get a jobby job and go do that but i always kind of had it in the back of my head that, that was something i kind of wanted to do then um yeah i ended up going to ohio state university instead so i rejected And then they very kindly asked me to leave after about a year. They were like, you can go. Oh, hold on one second, Jason. We, we yeah. You cut up for a second. Say Who again. asked you to leave? Wait, wait, wait. We'll get to that. Uh, yeah. I, I heard rejected Shenandoah, and then you cut off. So let's take it oh, from yeah. there. Yeah, so I, uh, um, I decided school instead of Shenandoah to pursue uh, pre-physical therapy. It was kind of what I was kind of being pushed into. Um, so I went to Ohio State University and stayed there and went there for one year. And, uh, and then uh, I guess I went to Columbus. I never went to school, actually, because they asked me to leave after about a year because I didn't really do anything at school. Um, and then, yeah, and then I came back to Charlottesville after uh, with my tail between my legs after getting booted out of Ohio State and uh, stayed in Charlottesville for about six months. And started playing music with some friends. And at Ohio State, I had gotten into playing bass and had a band and, you know, played around with a bunch of people. Came back to Charlottesville and started thinking about going back to school. And then decided to look into the recording engineering program at Shenandoah, uh, the commercial music program. So I went up there, not reading a lick of music, never formally trained in music at all. Played an original composition for the jazz director. And they looked at me like I was crazy, but I guess they liked something that they saw because they admitted me into the program and said that I would have to re-audition after one semester and, uh, and get admitted into the conservatory. So I did that. I took lessons for a semester and then re-auditioned and got in and then started really taking lessons, you know, pretty consistently for about a year after that. So your, your major at SU was recording commercial music. Yeah, yeah. It was, I, was, I was in the music school, so. And, you know, you always were, like, around the theater kids. So, like, I just always assumed you were, like, a theater guy as well. Yeah. But you are. I mean, that's why you I, gravitated yeah. towards them. Exactly. Well, it sounds like you were, your major was, I'm a badass, and I'm going <laughs> to do whatever I want to do, and I'm going to do it on my own time. I wish I would have known about the Shakespeare thing because I would have gone like, hey, could you explain this to me, dude? <laughs> yeah, I had to do like all sorts of like classes. Like one of the AP English teachers in high school 
over like line by line of these Shakespeare plays and really kind of look for the subtext and everything else that was going on within it and really trying to and gain a, a deep understanding of the language and, the, and the, the rhythm and the meter of it. It was, it was fascinating stuff. Um, and then I ended up, I dated a, an actress at Shenandoah for, you know, a good year or two and, uh, and was like helping with scene study and watching her score her, her scenes and everything. And really kind of was just fascinated with the whole process. So I saw everything you guys were doing from a, from an outside perspective, but very closely. So. And, and I can't recall this and I feel really bad. I, were you ever like involved in unity project? No, but I was, you know, I was super close with Randy and Daryl still am, you know, I still talk to both of them and, um, uh, yeah, but I saw I used to travel and go to the shows all the time, but yeah, no, I never played with any of them. So they were, they were already jamming by the time I got to school. Cause I came to Shenandoah in the spring of 96. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I just recall, and maybe it's just through God, how many years of, you know, substance <laughs> abuse and everything else. Like I can't play certain things. I remember yeah. you. And I think it's just age, man. Don't don't say it's it's just age. Well, I want it to seem very dramatic. Um, no, I, I just remember you being around in the Unity scape, maybe at concerts and things like that. And I couldn't remember if that was because you were around because you were in it. And I know that you played an instrument as well. So that's that was that. Yeah. And also, let's be honest, Unity Project had like a revolving door of lots of tons of musicians in it so oh yeah it was like i think at one point there were like 11 or 12 people in that band it was it was bananas so. yeah it was crazy um what was your instrument guitar bass bass do you still play the yeah. bass uh no i haven't touched a bass in a long time i still play around with the guitar every now and again but it's uh it's just not as as um urgent a thing that i'm doing right now electric Once bass, I... not acoustic bass How many yeah electric bass were in your class as far as like uh the same major as you at Shenandoah it was not that many um people did a lot of dual majors you know it was I, I kind of got thrown for a loop when I went to go and join the commercial music program because I just figured it would be recording engineering you know it's like they'll right. teach me how to run a board how to record things and they're like no 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 you need to be a trained musician with all the oral skills and the theory behind it in order to succeed at this and be good i was like oh shit like okay like i guess i gotta learn how to read music and you know get my theory on point and uh and it was really challenging i think so there were a lot of double majors of like jazz performance majors that were also learning the engineering side of it um and really just talented people it was it was amazing like to see some of these guys so i you know i had a recording studio here at my home at one point um, but I was kind of more of a developer of projects and really never did learn as much as I probably should have about um, the actual engineering of things. And now it's kind of like a place where I feel like if you have a MacBook or an iPhone, you're like maybe 80% good. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they make it, it's very user-friendly now, you know, from everything that I've heard and everything that I've seen and, you know, obviously I'm still friends with a lot of people that are recording music and, and, and doing things. And they, they just say that the, the tools now, if they'd have had it way back when, you know, you can put out very professional demos and, and recordings just on a laptop. It's amazing. Yeah. And what you, what used to feel like you had a specialty in now feels like it's an everyday thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think for uh, better yeah. or for worse. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, I think people having access to putting out music is always probably a positive thing, you know, so I think it's probably, you know, cramping a little bit of the industry style, but, you know. It was a little different time, too. You said you came spring of 96? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, like, even what you were learning then has evolved. Oh, yeah. So I mean, almost, almost obsolete, I'd probably say. <laughs> you know. That's crazy to think about. I mean, the internet was, like, just like born basically oh we had to go yeah. to computer labs yeah yeah absolutely netscape. internet cafes yeah internet cafes netscape yeah. Yeah. yeah that was a thing chat rooms just <laughs> crazy crazy stuff and so so uh, you kind of explained in a uh truncated way your progression after uh su and your other yeah. schooling um what what was it that drew you to back to that? I mean, this is interesting thread. You, you said that you 
wanted to maybe do physical therapy or something like that, but then you found your way back into medicine. What, what draws you to medicine? Um, well, first off, it was, it was the ability to help people, you know, is always, you know, the, the easy answer to come about, you know, like, well, I was going to say, it sounds like everything you were doing had to do with healing to a certain extent, but I think that also it's, it's, uh, um, it's a good lifestyle, you know, it's a good living. It's a good career. And, um, make a, um, feel confident in and satisfied with what I was doing. I found myself like, you know, in hospitality, it was, it was a great lifestyle for quite some time, but it was always kind of something that I just kind of did. And I was never really passionate about. And as I started looking for things to do, I was like, what can I do that would make me feel good about going to work every day? You know, cause you gotta go to work, you gotta go do something. And being able to put, you know, my skills to use and, and my ability to talk to people and, you know, the things that I had developed working in restaurants and bars for years um, into a different realm that maybe could actually provide some benefit back into the universe um, seemed like a worthwhile thing to try and pursue. I had no idea if I was going to like it or if it was going to be something that I really dug. So I, I went ahead and just gave it a shot. It turned out that as soon as I started doing it, um, I recognized a passion for it that I hadn't really felt towards anything else that I had done previously in my life. It was, it was a, it was a remarkable transformation and, and kind of metamorphosis into this new career. Well, I have to say, having been a bartender myself, there is a direct tie between bartending and psychiatry, I would think. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Well, I mean, one of the biggest things about it is just trying to set people at ease, being able to communicate with people, um, being able to uh, elicit information as a psychiatrist, being able to elicit information from people without making them feel like they're interrogated, you know, and just having a conversation, being able to have a conversation with anybody that you meet is something you learn when you're bartending, you know, because you're trapped behind, you know, two feet of wood all night long and, uh, and you better know how to talk to people or it's going to get really, really uncomfortable. So. I feel like um, being a teacher now with students, I am constantly trying to balance uh, in my own way as a teacher in all of my students, the balance between discipline and passion. And when one of those gets too heavy, it kind of throws the, the whole balance out. If you're too passionate without any real discipline, or too disciplined without any passion, you really kind of have to have an even balance of the two. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's everything in life is all about balance, right? It's all about kind of maintaining um, the creativity and the kind of impulsiveness with uh, a more tempered and wizened way to kind of look at the world, you know, and interact with it. So, yeah, I mean, you got you to be a little crazy and you got to be a little sane at the same time. Otherwise, it's just the, none of it works and you can, you can overload it. Yeah, there's a time to be a leader and a time to be a follower and there's a time to be a creator and there's a time to be an imitator and let someone else be the leader in that world. And if you have one of those things too powerful, it kind of throws off the, the balance of, you know, the ego strength or whatever in your in your human, um, more your day to day, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well said. Absolutely. See, I, I, I don't know what makes me feel this way. Uh, but in speaking of that, of balance, I think I'm obsessed with in my life um, and in my artistic, uh, journey and movies and things that, uh, I'm obsessed with extremes in either <laughs> direction. Um, yep. And I don't know, I, I don't know if that's because I'm a John Waters fan and he's obsessed with <laughs> extremes, but anything that is just kind of like combinations of the most polar opposite things together are things that fascinate me. Um, oh, absolutely. That's where, that's where all the exciting stuff happens is at the extremes, right? Right, you know? right. But, and where but... they intersect and where they balance or don't, you know? it's the it's trying to to maintain at those extremes for any extended period of time where it starts to become like difficult <laughs> challenging you know so going and visiting and dipping a toe into the extremes you know all the time is is awesome and that's that can be exciting and fun and, and gregarious you know but um 
yeah, persistent and consistent living at those extremes is exhausting. Right. Because Jason, we can also find the exact same um, thing in nature. Yeah. Because experiencing something extreme might be really exciting for the people that are chasing the tornado. Yeah. Mm -hmm. However, if if the only thing in the world right now is just a gigantic tornado, it's going to destroy everything. So you can't really live in those extremes. That's coming in 2023, yeah. I'm sure. No, yeah, no, absolutely. The giant tornado that'll destroy everything. It's on my bingo card. No, 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 it's, no. It's that... there with murder hornets and no. giant spiders from Japan. No, it's John F. Kennedy Jr. Oh, right, right, right. right. He's come. He's meeting me, you, and Jason back at the Cherry Reflecting pond oh okay oh, my God. yeah the cherry reflecting <laughs> pond here and to your left you will see the cherry reflecting pond so <laughs> this is a, just while we're on extremes this is just a fond memory from walmart in winchester <laughs> i was there i this again my memory i want to say i was with sam Rotella. that could be entirely wrong but but when you think about the late 90s and being at the the Walmart um, late at night, that probably checks out of me and her being there, getting mm -hmm. like Walmart chicken. There was a guy <laughs> hanging out by the meat sticks, you know, like the, the big summer sausage, a foot long kind of thing. Sure. And he was clearly effed up on something and he was for some reason he thought this would be like the way to capture sam's attention but he was holding this meat meat stick like sexually and like at sam and like we were dying um i can't i think please it don't was tell me it was me please don't tell me it was me. it was not you <laughs> okay good thank god <laughs> It was not you. I was like, where uh, the hell is this thing going? No, where it was going was I remember <laughs> thinking about that man forever and not because of the meat stick, because I thought, again, extremes. I was obsessed with who thinks that's a, the way in? Oh, like, yeah. who's... Well, I'm concerned now. You Now you think this was too extreme? <laughs> <laughs> I think waving a piece of dead meat at someone and like sticking your tongue out and making noises is probably not the best way i mean it was, it, the 90s. It was before <laughs> it was before grinder and all those other things so maybe <laughs> and i'm also assuming it was towards sam it could have been, been me that's a that's an assumption yeah i think that might be another podcast it had to be yeah i mean it i mean it, the walmart after hours just alone insane yeah. insane like once it finally opened and it was 24 hours like we all had some place to go when we were bored as hell and just completely you know off our nut it was it was a waste of time and it was hilarious and fun and i, I had a great time doing it so yeah, yeah. ryan go yeah, ahead. no you had uh mentioned you'd gotten to the hospitality uh world and you you yeah. traveled and and lived in different places mm -hmm. and did that you waited tables or bartender or whatever yeah did you have a favorite place I love Chicago. Like I had a great time there. I had moved to Chicago um, in 2000 and moved in and lived on Jenny Lamb and Monica Coleman's couch for months. Wow. Like too, too long. Like I did it too long. It was, it was awful. Um, I, I really imposed and overstayed my welcome. And I, you know, they, we were friends for years, but yeah, it was time for me to go. But if you're um, listening, thank you, Jenny thank you. and yeah, Monica. They, they know I, I, I adore those people. They're amazing. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, but I, I lived there for off and on for probably four or five years um, and just loved it. It was my favorite that I've lived in. Centralized downtown, great little neighborhoods, um, great friends. You know, I was there with Preddy and Daryl and Dan Waters and Kip Mormon, Jenny, Monica. It was fantastic. It was like a whole little, you know, reunion of Shenandoah alum out there. Well, you know, talking about hospitality, um, and believe me, uh, nothing I've done is anything, you know, noteworthy, but Ryan and I actually both, of course, experienced waitering experience. And of course, Stephen was a bartender, but I used to be a restaurant manager at a little diner um, down here in uh, Arlington, in Sterlington. And uh, I have to say there was something about 
going through that evening and sort of conquering little, putting out little fires from different customers or whatnot, kitchen, whatnot, um, 86 this, 86 that. And at the end of the evening, leaving that shift almost always felt like I had completed some little, uh, little small event of that day because it just felt very complete to lock the door, turn off the lights, take off the apron and be like, well, everyone left and they were all very happy. Oh, yeah, it's great. You never take your work home. You know, you go in, you work and there's a definitive end. And then, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was satisfying to a certain extent. You know, oh, like, you know what? You just you just nailed that. Yeah, you never took your work home, and if you did, it probably wasn't a very big deal. As a more of a, but that's yeah. I find now, yeah. yeah, Ryan. Uh, yeah, no, I wanted to ask about the guy, the guy with the sausage. No, the regional. <laughs> no, the regional Fine, it was me. I'm sorry. Guys. <laughs> the regional aspect of the hospitality. Did you see a difference in regions in people? As, you know, um, in Denver as opposed to Chicago as opposed to Virginia, whatever. I'm sure Charlotte no, feels just like LA. <laughs> I mean, to a certain extent, it is. You didn't really see differences in regions. You saw differences in level of restaurants. You know, so like fine dining restaurants are kind of the same everywhere you go. You know, like people have a high level of expectation and they're paying a premium, so they expect a certain level of service. Um, so you would see it in the in the different steps of restaurants that you would work at. You know, so like casual restaurants versus mid-level versus high fine dining. So, and I worked at kind of all of them and you would see high similarities between everybody. So once you got accustomed to one level of service, it would be pretty consistent all the way around regardless uh, of where you went. When I was so. living in Jersey, I did this like uh, cater waiter thing. Mm -hmm. And like we were at like country clubs and stuff. Man, I hated that job so much. I, I oh, yeah. All the smug rich people. I just hated it. I could, I could not stand it. But, you know, you do, you do what you have to for for paying the yeah. bills. So it makes Got sense it. that you at some point hit that wall. You're like, I can't continue to be doing this forever. Well, at some point, I, I knew that if I was going to stick in it, I was going to be that old guy waiting tables and kind of doing it. That was a lifer. That was like a career I guy. Always that was doing it, like, same thing, Jason. Yeah. Always. Wait a minute. Wait a like, minute. Don't say anything too soon because I'm still trying to figure out what my lifer <laughs> is. So. I mean, Jesus, Matt. You know, you guys are wildly successful on playwrights and and you know artists. You guys are doing an amazing work up there. So you know you're doing this on the on the side gig, but I wouldn't call this your career. You know, like you got other things going on for you, right? <laughs> Yeah, we got we got other things going on. <laughs> but but those things we do bring home. Yeah, we do. Yeah. We live with them. Yeah, um, exactly. Just just in this, I'm shooting in the dark here, but uh, working in um, as a bartender, you guys working as waiters, uh, Jason, you working in this. I was also a bartender. And so a too. manager. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I knew I knew the difference between stirred and shaken. Wait, would you like me to read your resume out loud right now, Matt? Um, what is there like what was the craziest thing that you ever saw happen while doing were there any stories of like insane things happening or not insane or look at me looking for extremes again but like just a notable story from that time that you tell from my time in hospitality from the decade that i worked in hospitality let me think i mean there are a lot um i've waited on Russian oligarchs and gangsters. I've waited on. Oh my God! I want to know where all of those are right now. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's crazy things. You know, Chicago is a weird place. <laughs> so, like a huge Russian Russian mafia, and uh, um, so some scary, some scary people that I've that I've met. A lot of celebrities, you know, that have come through. One of the I was working at the Park Hyatt in Chicago. This, this is a fairly good story. And, uh, and there was a week at the hotel. I was a bar manager at, and it's the flagship hotel of the Hyatt Corporation in Chicago, downtown. And uh, this one week, U2 was at the hotel basing their entire Midwest portion of their elevation tour in like the early 2000s. Um, they were filming Road to Perdition in Chicago. So Tom Hanks, Jude Law, Stanley Tucci, like everybody was staying in the, in the hotel. Um, Sting was staying in the hotel because he was playing there. And Billy Joel was across the street at the Four Seasons. And every night, you two would come back to the hotel 
and they would have this huge party for their entourage and their guests and everything like that. And I was the only manager on scene for those parties. So I would be managing these parties for you too. And all these celebrities would be there. And I would just kind of hang out all night and like have drinks with all these people. I was 24 years old, completely out of my element in a position that I had absolutely no business doing it. And it was the most exciting and fun thing that I'd ever seen in my entire life. It was ridiculous. That's insane. Yeah. Oh yeah, my God. It was great. It was, it was bananas. I sat, uh, Jude Law came down um, and was meeting like his agent or something at the bar and it was completely empty. It was before we really even started. Um, all my bartenders were out on a smoke break and I was just kind of watching the bar and he came down and sat at the bar and we had a conversation for 35 minutes while he was sitting there waiting for his, for his agent. I just like, I poured myself a drink. I just sat and had a, had a glass of Jack Daniels with, with Jude Law and we just kind of shot the shit. He just finished up AI and it was crazy, man. It was, it was a weird time. It was, it was so much fun. Yeah. I, only claim to fame I had when I was waiting tables was Montel Williams uh, was a dick. Other than that, <laughs> that's about it. I, I have heard that on several occasions, to be honest. <laughs> Montel Williams. Anyways, Montel. I started laughing at myself because I do have a hospitality story about work uh waiting on phil donahue and marlo thomas thomas who? and ross perot no who was running on the green ticket that i must have been ross perot anyway but all i could all i could think of was this time that i was hired to play the piano for a group of people i forget what the group was because i you know i'd gig out all kinds of crazy stuff and i was all dressed up and i entered the omni shoreham of Washington, D.C., on Connecticut yeah. Avenue, I believe. And I'm acting mm-hmm. like I am the Omni Shoreham. And my shoe broke. Oh, my God, I remember this. My, like, literally <laughs> my entire sole of my nice dress shoe broke. And so I panicked. But as I was walking down these very you long... You me. Yeah, I am walking down these very long hallways. I could not let my foot leave the floor. So I'm like dragging my foot off my leg, almost like I have a broken leg. And I'm meeting all these people and saying hello. And I'm like slowly sliding my foot. So I go in the bathroom and I pick up my shoe. It's in two parts. And I look at my socks. I'm like, I wonder if I could do this gig in my socks. So I take off my shoes. Someone comes walking in the bathroom. I'm like holding these three, three things thinking, what do I do? Anyways, I literally, the entire evening, I went to the piano looking like I had, I don't know, like a brace on my leg. And then at the end of the evening, I, I slowly walked out of the Omni Shoreham and threw my shoes in the trash and got my taxi and left. And yeah. And how many people I'm wondering were like, oh, the poor pianist, what, he must have had an injury. Yeah, I think I probably did add a cough. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like, it was like polio, Chicago, 1970. Yeah, I was like, tonight, directly from the second act of Les Miserables, we give you Thenardier and his wife the one man show. Oh. Just dra- dragging your leg like Quasimodo through the, oh, the army shore. <laughs> and you know what? I was I was not asked back. I was not asked back. So and that is a fancy ho- that's the hotel that I stay at in uh, in DC whenever I go there. It's a the Omni hotel. Yeah, the Omni. Yeah, yeah nice. it's it's cute. It is. It's great. And it's right next to the zoo. You know, so when I go up there with my kid, we we stay up there. So it's great. Uh, I'm working on a one man show. No lie, kind of. It's called No Lie? That's, no. That's called uh, Confessions of a Lobby Pianist, where I am the lobby pianist, but I also come out of the piano to reenact all kinds so of... Like like out of the grand piano, you like come out of it? Well, I could. I mean, I, I you know, I took I took set design with Mac... No, that was lights with uh, Bill... Pearson. Pearson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason, so uh, let's get back to the now. Uh, yeah. So you're a physician's assistant, you said? Yes. PA. Uh, for psychiatry. Mm-hmm. And how long have you been doing that? Uh, I graduated in 2018. I uh, I started in psychiatry shortly after graduation, and I was also moonlighting in an emergency room here in Charlottesville as well. So I did that for about uh, a year, maybe. What were you doing in the emergency room? I was, like, seeing and treating patients in the emergency room. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't realize people would go in there with like mental. No, I wasn't working as a psychiatrist. I was actually working just as like an emergency room doc. 
you know, like as an emergency wow. doctor, like stitching people up and like, oh my god, yeah, dealing with like, blood pressure issues and stuff. So stressful. Yeah, very very stressful. What what do you, <laughs> what do you what do you think is the long term effects if you if you could delve a little bit about this darker period we've gone through of isolation that we still kind of aren't really out of and no one's really, you know, no one's really hugging one another and, you know, everything's changed. And we all know babies develop faster if they are touched. Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing that this pandemic has shown me, because I've been doing psychiatry through the pandemic, you know, I started in 2018 and, and, you know, been doing it consistently through this is that we are social creatures, you know, and we need that kind of socialization. People did not do well during the pandemic. Anxiety was up, uh, depression was up, suicides are up, like bad things are going on with people. When you, when you lock people away in a box and keep them away from other people, like people just don't tolerate it very well, you know? And it's like, and it sounds like a silly thing to say, like, of course they don't tolerate it well, but I never imagined that it would be as this severe to this extent and it's like and i'm i'm just consistently busy and getting busier all the time with new patient referrals which is a great thing because people are coming out and wanting to get help and they're reaching out for it but the numbers are insane like of people that are that are struggling during this i'm curious like across like the board would you say that there, uh, you know, the majority of humans uh, don't do well alone, but there might be a, a small minority who are okay uh, <laughs> without that social time? Because I tell you what, man, it was the best time I had in a that, long time. Yeah, I mean, I think there are obviously there are the introverts and the extroverts, right? And but sociopaths, even, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's a little that's a little more, but. Um, but even the introverts that I treated prior to pandemic. Saying, you mean, I, I don't have to leave my house. I don't have to interact with other people. This is going to be great. Even after about a year, they were like, fuck this. Like, I'm so tired of this. I need to get out. I need to do something, you know, because they were just bouncing off the walls. Everybody was getting cabin fever from it. Like the majority of people, you know, it was, it was rough. And I, I look back on it, it's like, I don't know. I don't know if I would have been able to do it living alone without some sort of, you know, human contact. It's true. I, I, I had Matt and Steve, so I guess I still have human contact. But... Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. basically, they said, don't touch anybody. And Ryan was like, okay, check. They were like, don't go <laughs> to the house. And Ryan was like, yep, got it. And, uh, <laughs> like, and I, I was got, like, I got... I was like in the living room, like, you know, crying and saying, I don't have any more friends. And I, you know, and I was like, oh, you guys want to add masks? Absolutely. I'm so germaphobic as it is. Like masks were like the best. It's like, is the ABC store still open? Okay, perfect. I can get food delivered. I mean, I'm not seeing a downside here, guys. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I did. Perfect. I did feel like maybe possibly I would be okay with prison if there was boxed wine and a few to-go menus. For sure. For sure. <laughs> That's the food thing that it would be the issue, right? Well, you know, I would be, I would be annoyed if like the person beside me in the cell got like a stinky dish and I <laughs> a stinky dish. Well, you know, those dishes that sometimes are stinky and you're like, oh my gosh, did someone order a fish? Well, yeah, but that person is also going to be shitting in front of you as well. Yeah. So, yeah. so you're going to have to uh, deal yeah. with a lot of stinky dishes. Yeah. <laughs> I like, oh, I like, I like how that's the deal breaker about prison, though. I like that. <laughs> like, right? I don't want my, I don't want the guy in the cell next door to get anything that smells bad. Like, oh. Oh God, it's kind of stinky, right? You know, I'm thinking. You know, I'm thinking maybe a fiction book called Stinky Dishes. Stinky Dishes. <laughs> <Jesus> <laughs> it's a thriller. Oh, it oh sounds thrilling. So many, so many jokes. So many jokes. Oh God. <laughs> Were you worried about like with you said you did X-rays? You, uh, you went to school yeah. for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Were you worried about the radiation at all? I know it's probably safe, but like every time I get an X-ray of any kind. Like there is something you're supposed to read and like in the fine print, like, you know, using this. Were you afraid again. you wouldn't be able to have kids, Ryan? Is that the fear? No, 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 no. Just, you know, I don't know. Just radiation. <laughs> Period. I, you know, you've seen The Incredible Hulk. 
that's gamma. Yeah. Right? Okay. Anyway. No, I mean, you, you get you, like, you learn all about it. So it's like, it was a lot of physics, a lot of, you know, electromagnetic and, and radiation physics, you know? So you learn about the damage and the risks associated with it. You know, like, uh, for example, like one x-ray is equitable to 10 days out in the sun or something like that. So it's like, what? yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, really? I did not know yeah, that. Like, That's why they go behind that little wall, you know? Right. Yeah. And they put that thing on you that you're they're supposed to protect you. I don't think it protects you. I think it's just a lot. No, it's <laughs> lead. Experts <laughs> don't go through lead. So, like, that's the way it goes. And it, everybody always asks that. They're like, why do the, why do, if it's so safe, why do the x ray techs go behind that wall? It's like, well, because we're doing like 200 x rays a day and it's probably best not to, not to tempt fate and just not, you know, be that exposed. And who wants to wear that lead vest all day? Yeah, I mean, you had to when you when you were in like surgeries because they do a lot of X-ray and surgeries. So you would really? have to, yeah, yeah. You know, for like orthopedic surgeries, like hip replacements and spinal surgeries, they take X-rays the entire time. So X-ray techs and surgery wear lead underneath all their like gowns and everything, you know, wow. to kind of keep it safe. So you're wearing like. Wait, how how heavy? Like twenty pounds, I think. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since I've done it, but yeah, I think that was what it was. So, are you, are you, are you? What, what, what do you geek out about now when you're like looking for a book or a movie or something? Are you totally? Do you have time to do that? Yes, yeah, that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I work in Stanton and I live in Charlottesville, so the commute's forty-five minutes each way, right? So, what I've been doing is, you know, in order to occupy my time and to kind of shut my brain down a little bit after seeing like 25 patients a day and seeing everybody on their worst day ever, you know, and kind of all the negativity that you get bombarded with all day, just to kind of decompress. I just listen to like audiobooks, like all the way back and forth. And I try and keep it as like pablum as I can, you know, just like sci-fi books, anything that doesn't have anything to do with like psychiatry or, you know, deep emotion. So you um, Jack McDevitt. No, I haven't. What's up? Check it. Check him out. He's a great sci-fi writer. If you like sci-fi. Okay, great. I think the the last series that I read or that I listened to was uh, um like a bunch of Star Wars books. Like they came out with these these uh, Thrawn? Thrawn books. Yeah, Thrawn. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I, I like I listen to all six books, and it's just a great way to just kind of shut my brain down for you know like an hour a day. So it's great. But I'm sure the talent on those audio books is like above average too. It's fantastic. It's one guy, and he does like all these different voices, and they have all the sound effects and the music and stuff like that. It's it's just highly entertaining. It's not a whole hell of a lot to it, but it's great. So Stevie bought bought me um, for Christmas one year during the um, pandemic. Dolly Parton's new book called Song Teller, which was her explaining um, song by song, her lyrics to the songs. Really? And so every night, now I'm not saying that you need to do this, but I'm just telling you what I did. Every night when we would go to bed, I would open up the book and I would sort of read about one song, why she wrote it, what the lyrics were and, and how she channeled the song. And, you know, nobody, nobody hates Dolly Parton. Nobody. She's nobody. like, She's like, you know, Oprah. She should yeah. run for president. Yeah, like, and, and just reading one of her uh, lyrics and about the song every night was kind of like, it was so healing and it was just Dolly. Yeah, I think that I think that you kind of hit it. Like Dolly Parton is like the realest person on the planet. Like she just puts on no airs whatsoever. Like she is exactly who she seems to be from everything you hear, you know, so. And what's so funny about that sentence, Dolly Parton is the realest person on the planet, <laughs> is that in, in her soul that is true, but she would tell you herself that she does not leave her house without full drag. Oh yeah. Um, we got to see her actually, uh, we used to go down to DC, like pre 9-11, we would go down to DC uh, for the dress rehearsal, July 3rd before the fourth, because you it was a smaller crowd. They would perform the whole thing. They would often joke with the audience in a way they would not with all the crowds there. And we saw Dolly uh, at the dress rehearsal on the mall and she had been doing press junkets all day, you know, for the 4th of July that she was performing at. And she came out and she said, uh, I hope I can make a sound tonight. They had me on the TV all day talking. <laughs> and she said, I had to put my head over a bucket. I had to take the wig off. Um, 
and she was just as real as could be, even though, you know, she, oh, yeah. it, what's, what's the album? It's like a uh, trailer park Barbie or something like that, that, that she uh, talks about the character that she has created of herself. Um, but it's, uh, yeah. She just Dolly owns Park. it. She just owns it. Yeah. Dolly, this is, Dolly for this, president. This <laughs> conversation has run the gamut, man. I love it. Getting the I Dolly know. Parton in this, that's fantastic. <laughs> How old is she? She turns seven next week. Wow. Yeah. Have, have you been like, this is always, I'm, I'm not going to have kids. So, like, this is what I always think about, though, if I did. Like, when I would start showing. All that radiation, movies, right? All that radiation you've been getting? Yeah, <laughs> no. Showing uh, the movies that I grew up with. Like, at what age have you been doing that? Or is it like all like, you know, Pixar and Disney? It's it's a lot of Pixar and Disney. So she is a sensitive kid, you know. So a lot of the movies that I like, you know, Star Wars and Harry Potter and stuff like that, that I think would be great for her, I gotta I'm holding off, you know, because I don't wanna I don't wanna freak her out with it, you know, because like some of those things have a little, you know, kind of weirder stuff. Now, granted, I watched all that stuff when I was a kid, but you know, it didn't really affect me negatively. But I've like tried to to kind of inch things in like that. She's a Gemini. Yeah, she's a total Gemini. Air air sign. Her birthday is two days after mine. Um, You're a Gemini so my, as well. I'm a Gemini as well, and my wife is—I know my wife is a Taurus. Her birthday is so her, her birthday is on the. Oh, she's right there at the cusp almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So it's yeah, we got a lot of duality in this house. <laughs> <laughs> right, the, the Taurus is an, an Earth sign, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And then Gemini is an Air sign. That's right. So. Dirt and air make dust. 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 <laughs> Me and Steven are water and earth, so we make mud. Mud. Uh, everything's real muddy, real murky. <laughs> How long have you guys been married now? Uh, we've been together since she. We went together since Rome. You guys got married in 2000. We got officially married in 2013, so almost 10 years. That's when I got married. Ah, there we are. But pretty yeah. soon we might be unmarried. That's right. No, you can't take it back. We're gonna have to go. We're gonna <laughs> have to go live someplace else. Where would you go if you oh, had to God. go? Where would you go? Um. I don't know. You know, I used to always make a joke that it was either you know it was kind of like a Europe Europe. Uh, answer but now i'm not even sure how, how i feel about europe i mean i thought that france was always a safe place to go and now i'm not even sure what i mean it feels like we're returning back to a nationalistic sort of world of everyone kind of like hiding in their little um apartments right yeah. being together like get out of our place yeah um so I, I, I don't know. I thought that We Are the World song was going to make everyone realize that we are. Hands Across America. <laughs> hands Across America. Now listen, Virginia's for Lovers, Hands Across America, We Are the World. I mean, we keep trying. Yeah. But, yeah. but you know, it's just all those things. Current... All those things haven't happened since the 80s. So we haven't really been trying that hard. So. When Reagan was freaking president of all yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we've gone from we are the world to somebody that I used to know. You know, yeah, the, the, the sentimentality is is different. Um, yeah. Well, Jason, we're mindful of your time. We just want to ask if you just wrap up questions. Um, yeah, sure. Is there anything you can recommend that you love that you've been like binging or streaming? Um, a couple of things, actually. I've been listening to the podcast, so I kind of knew this was coming. Um so I, I binged Yellowstone recently, which I don't know if you guys have watched, but it's fantastic. My like, mom just, loves it. It's fantastic. It's it's like a it's like a modern day Western. Kevin Costner is at his Kevin Costnerist. It's uh it's it's great. I I enjoyed the shit out of it. It's about bison. Um, yeah, it's all about bison. I mean it's a, it's actually like a ranching show. It's weird. It's like cowboys and stuff like that. It's it's just it's a it's like a um like a kind of a darker stone. Dallas. Yeah, yeah, kinda. It's great. It's it's just fun. Um, great drama and family drama and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's exciting. Um, from, for a thing that I was doing during the pandemic, I got tired of watching TV every night and I got the only time I've gotten hit by direct advertising on, uh, Instagram, I actually bought this and it was hunt a killer. 
which is like a, a subscription box deal where they send you like an episode of a mystery and you have to like kind of go through all these clues and ciphers and things and try and solve this murder. And I've it's seen that. Fantastic. Fantastic. It was like a great date night thing for me and my wife to do because we just got sick of watching TV all the time. We wanted to actually do something and kind of exercise our brains. And it was like high production value, great materials, beautiful writing and stories. It was great. I enjoyed the shit out of it. I'm still doing it now. So it's it's like a monthly box kind of deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen ads for that, and I've been curious. So thanks for the recommendation. That sounds like fun. Yeah. It was great. I mean, it's just it's great. It's just a good way you kind of shut everything down. They like you go online. There's this website you kind of interact with. They give you like a Spotify playlist to play with each episode, and you kind of go through cocktail recipes. And uh, and then you just solve a mystery. It's it's so much fun. Oh, that's cool. a great a great break drag. from the norm. Yeah, it's like Dungeons and Dragons for yeah. adults. Yeah, yeah. No, they just give you like all these like here's these photographs, here's these letters, and it's like they give you like little props and stuff that you have to go through and try and find if there are clues on them. It's just it's great. It's just it, you use a different part of your brain for it, and it's a great way to kind of interact and reconnect with somebody. It's it's awesome. I think I've only got that part of the brain left. Yeah. <laughs> um have you have read any good books lately are you a book reader um audiobooks, audiobooks yeah audiobooks about the, yeah okay yeah and i i think i, I just started up uh, um uh i uh what is it um robert jordan's wheel of time oh my god me too man i'm on the third book yeah i just i just started the first book and, uh, you know, because I knew they had that uh, that series on Amazon Prime. And I was like, well, I want to read it first before I do that. Yeah, so. I did the same thing. And I put all of the books on my, like, on a wish list. And I was not expecting someone to buy all of them for me. And now I have every single book in that series. And yes. I'm glad that I like it. Because if I didn't, I'd be stuck with, <laughs> like, 16 books. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, that's about it. And, you know, and I have to do so many uh, continuing education credits for like work, you know, in order to maintain my certification. So I do a lot of reading for like, you know, medical journals and, you know, psychi psychiatric stuff, just trying to keep myself up. So why well, we call it the practice of medicine. So. I have to say, before we go, um, you have a beautiful speaking voice and i think i can i i don't know what's coming next but if it's you know audio books that you start reading and recording that have to deal with uh psychiatric whatever but you you really sound great mm -hmm. oh thanks man um maybe i could borrow talon's book that he sent you we're gonna sell that on ebay and I think as previously theorized by Randy, it's probably all a misleading book trying to thin out the competition. So that seems like something yeah. Talon would do. No, and, um, and again, like based on, on talking to Randy and everybody that, that I know that's gotten into voiceover, it's really a, a right time, right place. You know, it's like just kind of, you know, and this is, yeah. I had one person, one person told me that before that I, that I had too good a voice to be waiting tables. And, uh, and I was like, what are you, my mom? <laughs> like, what do you want to eat? <laughs> right. And if you give me enough money on my tip, maybe I can quit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, come on. It was very funny. But... Well, Jason, we love you. Thank you so much for talking to us. It's been so much fun. Yeah, guys. It's been an and absolutely happy birthday incredible. to the whole family. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm flattered you guys asked me to do this. Um, I know we really didn't get an opportunity to spend too much time together in school, but uh, every memory that I have of all three of you guys is nothing but amicable and, and just fun. You guys are outrageously creative human beings. And that was the best thing about me being at Shenandoah was just being surrounded by all these people with a singular focus and all the talent that I got a chance to be a part of and be around. It was a, it was a real important time in my life. And I really, I really look back on it fondly. Yes. So do we, we do too, buddy. And I know like, but whenever you were around, it was always a good time and it's a good memory. And that's, that's uh that's a good thing to be, you know? Well, spectacular. All right, guys. So, well, thanks for everything. I appreciate it. No problem. Good Don't be a stranger, you, man. You were always the nicest, man. So good talking to you. Absolutely, guys. Well, you guys have a great night. All right. Enjoy your summer. All right. You too, buddy. Peace. Right, Bye. Guys. Bye. Thanks so much, Jason, for joining us. We had a great time talking to you. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Um, and Wasn't that fun, Ryan? It was fun. 
Um, I don't think that sounded sincere. Oh, it was completely sincere. We love you, Jason. I'm we a had couple a... of drinks in, man. Yeah, well, full disclosure. We've been watching The Offer. You know, we, it, there were some drinks involved. Anyway, uh, if you want to learn more about us, please visit www.connorsmithmusicals.com. That's kind of an ER. Please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Share it where you share things. Post it where you post thing. Post... <laughs> Poet where you post things. Grow it where you grow things. It, it was the beer. Uh, post it where you post things. Uh, please add to the Discord message board. Uh, link in the description. Add to the Spotify 90s playlist. Uh, it's uh, People are, and I'm really thank, thankful that you are. Um, I shouldn't speak that much more, apparently, on air. So um, nope, we, I think we can wrap this up. And remember, you can choose to uh, to listen to us or not because <laughs> it's your choice, and we are all for choice. Yes, that's, that's true. All right, thanks, everybody, and we'll be back with another one tomorrow. Bye. Bye.